You've seen the best. You've seen the worst. Now here's the rest of both worlds. I'm Gayfish, Onagaishimasu. And I'm Ari, and if I wasn't a consummate professional and an android, I'd find this entire procedure insulting. And today we will be discussing the Star Trek The Next Generation episodes The Icarus Factor and Pen Pals. But first, well, it's April now, which means that Star Trek is no longer on Netflix. I know, I hate it. I had to watch these episodes on Paramount+. Plus. It's so bad. I have Paramount Plus through Prime because that was just the easiest way to sign up for it. Uh-huh. But I hate it. I hate it on there. And the subtitles are bad. There was like five or six subtitle mistakes. One said out of forts. I can't remember <laughs> what they were trying to. Oh, out of sorts. But it said out of forts. It's just I hate it. It's a bad like the only benefit that it has is that on Prime, when you pause a scene, you can see what characters and actors are in the scene, which is yeah. nice because I'm constantly looking at IMDb when I'm watching Star Trek to see who people are. So it's nice to have that, but it's not mm-hmm. worth the bad subtitles and the, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, because I, I mean, because I'm, I'm keeping current with Star Trek and all, all new Star Trek's on Paramount Plus, And yeah, I've noticed the bad subtitles and it's it's not just on TNG. It's everything. Oh, so it is. OK, I thought maybe it was like an old file or something and they just hadn't mm-hmm. bothered because we know that Netflix is fine with the subtitling. The subtitling Netflix on Netflix is really perfect. Good, yeah, yeah. Like they, <laughs> they'll even position them like by which character is talking sometimes like yeah, yeah no, they'll Netflix go around really good if it's going to cover up inf- important information i really like that yeah i just assumed that across the board all shows had the same like subtitling like built into like their coding or whatever i had no idea each different service service had to subtitle but now i know because there was like five mistakes in this one episode or two episodes, I suppose. Well, they, they should probably just slip somebody at Netflix a fiver so that they can get their <laughs> subtitles. <laughs> I get why they want to have it all on Paramount Plus. I think having yeah. Star Trek all in one place makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's annoying to those of us who don't want to have to pay for every single service. But like you said, I'm already paying for Paramount Plus. So yeah. it's not that big of a deal. I didn't have to sign up for something extra like when I had to sign up for Peacock to get The Office because it left Netflix. But they're really starting to pull me thin with all these different streaming services you know when netflix was the only game in town piracy went down so much because everyone's like wait 10 bucks a month and i can get whatever i want yeah yeah but now everything is so fragmented it's just like if you want to get everything you're just looking at paying as much as you would have for cable and like the the whole point of streaming was we were trying to get away from the way from cable the yeah. cable model but now we're just back at it and now everyone's just pirating stuff again i'm not surprised because it's like i when i log in to watch tv now because i haven't paid for cable for years and years and years but when i log into my xbox which is what i use to watch tv um i have to look at like seven different streaming services and think which one do i want to flip through for something to watch which also makes it irritating because i have to think okay i'll go look at disney plus oh there's nothing new on there i need to watch and then i flipped flip through them and it's really annoying because you you like get you get fatigue it's like fatigue of trying to just look through all the options just i want to see what i want to see and it's annoying you know at least with um stuff like if you're using amazon or uh like an apple tv uh Mm -hmm. it will like just get a list of shows that are on you know all the different services that you have attached to it so you can just browse through it there and it'll just go straight from there to to whatever app um which it's kind of needed at this point so that's nice but yeah if we could go back to paying 
hell, even if Netflix was like the only game in town and it was like 25 a month. I'd pay that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> versus what we're doing now. It's yeah. And even when Netflix was the only game in town, I paid for like HBO and stuff because I always yeah. wanted to see the higher quality content shows and stuff. And then I'd go, you know, I'd go through like, oh, I'll, I'll add Showtime for three months and I'd watch Showtime for three months, catch up on all the shows I was behind on on Showtime and then kill that streaming. And now I'm having to do that with every streaming thing. Am I watching anything on Netflix right now or have I just thrown them $15 a month for the last four months and I haven't even watched anything? I'm having to pay attention to that kind of stuff, and it's really irritating. Anyway, now we're going to talk about The Icarus Factor, which is the 14th episode of the second season of TNG. It premiered on the 24th of April, 1989. The teleplay was by David Assel and Robert McAuliffe. The story was by David Assel, and it was directed by Robert Iskov. So... Uh, we meet Riker's dad in this episode. Yeah, that's the plot. Riker has has a dad. (laughs) His dad is a massive prick. Oh my god. Yeah. I I hate him so much, but, like, everyone else seems to, and he seems to get along well with everyone except his son. And, like, somebody who's been in an abusive situation with a parent, Mm -hmm. and everyone's like, well, I don't see that. They just seem fine to me. And it's like, well, yeah, that's because they're, You're not the parent, or you're not the child. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But, like, the plot is that his dad comes aboard because he's, like, briefing him on a potential uh, captain assignment that Riker's been offered. And it's just, you know... Uh, Riker, you know, trying to avoid him the whole episode because, you know, as we find he out... He wants that... He, he thinks he can just come here and have a heart-to-heart with Riker. Yeah, and, like, I'm sorry, but, you know... When you cut ties with your son when he was 15, like, you don't f***ing get to come back and have a relationship with him. Like, you're done. The exact quote was, I hung in for 13 years. If that wasn't enough, that's just too bad. I was, so as a child of, I am the child of a narcissist. (laughs) And I have read a lot of books on how to be the child of a narcissist. Obviously, my mother does not believe she's a narcissist, but my mother is a narcissist. And I just was, it was a hard episode for me, to be honest, because I was watching a lot of my mother come through that character. And I was it's like, okay, so I get why he's written this way, but why was Pulaski written this way? Well, like, the fact that she's basically gaslighting Riker into family is family and you need to forgive him. I was like, are you kidding me? You know, <laughs> he doesn't need to forgive him. He abandoned him as a child after his mom died. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like, I don't know. This episode was tough. It's a bad message. And also then like they they like make up by having a martial arts fight at the end where his dad cheats to beat him and then they like hug and make up. Like what is that? That was so bad. And it was a clear like like uh, parallel to Worf's ascension ceremony thing because it was like, uh-huh. "Oh, we don't understand how barbaric this thing is where Worf's getting hit with these glowing sticks while he talks in Klingon, <laughs> but they're hitting each other with sticks while they talk about important like emotional things or whatever." And it was like, "Okay, I get it, writers. It's very very heavy-handed, but I get it, you know." <laughs> also, the, the the sport they were playing ambujitsu was something they made up for the show, but it's like it's like a blind martial art because you put like a a, a a visor over your face so you can't see and yeah. you're supposed to just hit each other with the sticks and the sticks do like have a thing at the end that like uh, lights up and does a little like electric fizzle when it's like pointing at you. So I assume that's I assume that's how they know. OK, that's where they are because I've got my stick is doing the hum thing because it's pointing at them. Oh, that makes sense. But like it's dumb. 
<laughs> it's dumb. It's so dumb. And then it's so like toxic masculinity. Like, let's go beat each other up on the court to prove our, you know, to prove who's more of a man. I don't know. I hated it. I hated the whole episode. Plus, like this whole thing where like Riker finally gets his command. But then it's like, oh, no, that's not what this episode is about. And then he just looks at Picard at the end and he's like, nah, I'm going to stay here, man. <laughs> yeah, like there, there should have been because the, the whole episode forgot about him getting his command and it was just about him and his relationship with his dad <laughs> so there's no like and and you know getting that assignment it's not real you don't need to have a relationship with your dad to go be a captain like you can take that captaincy so it doesn't they don't really explain why he decided to stay and i understand that you know like there's a good reason to want to stay because like i've said before the enterprise is like one of the best assignments you can get in Starfleet. Right, yeah, and even the dad pointed that out. Like, you're second in command of the Enterprise, you know? Yeah, but they just, I don't know. Also, uh, we find out that uh, Pulaski and uh, Riker's dad uh, used to be a thing. <sighs> yeah, they sure did. Um, and, you know, it was, it. it I was just like, <sighs> I don't, I, I, Pulaski's been growing on me slowly, but also I've not, I've been keeping in mind she's going away, you know? Right. Um, and this episode knocked her right back down to the bottom for me. Just like <laughs> 100%. I was like, okay, so just because you like to, I'm trying to think of a non-vulgar way to say this, <laughs> just because you like to sleep with his dad <laughs> doesn't mean that he's not a terrible father. You know, yeah. like this whole idea that because I couldn't even understand what she was explaining about how he was the only one that lived. He only he was the only one that had the will to live through whatever like horrible thing his entire command had gone through or whatever. And I was like, oh, so he let his entire command die and he's the only <laughs> one that survived. I was like, that's that's brave. Oh, OK. You know, like I was very confused about that story. And I was the whole thing was just like, you don't have to make up with your shitty parents. Like, no. I, 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 I think I know this was the. 80s and we had a little bit more like family is forever and they can be as shitty as they want to you and you yeah. still have to be nice to them but you don't have to make up with your shitty parents my mother quote unquote dumped me six years ago because apparently that's something you can do to your children and i don't want anything to do with her at all you know and i don't think it should be my responsibility after she told me to kill myself to be in her life and i don't think yeah. it was respond riker's responsibility to be a part of his dad's life and i was just sitting here as like especially when child, he was abandoned like, as a kid as yeah. a minor he was abandoned like yeah there's uh, no like you don't come back from that that's no and especially when your response to it is i stayed for 13 years buddy you know yeah. <laughs> like, that's i'm sorry at least at least until they're 18 you know <laughs> like, yeah i just i uh yeah i don't know i just hated it plus i hated his name i couldn't believe the name kyle was still popular at that point in history <laughs> <laughs> But um, I guess let's talk a little bit about the B-plot. So I thought Worf was being all shitty because of his dad, uh -huh. because of Riker's dad. Because remember how we had the whole discussion about Worf's daddy issues like four right. or five episodes ago, right? Uh -huh. So it was weird that they that it turned out to have nothing to do with the dad. I thought it was going to be like he was upset that his dad was a warrior and his dad was off 
retired in the mountains. Isn't that isn't that his story? That his dad's off in the mountains somewhere or something, just li- waiting to die. I can't remember what he said a couple episodes ago. Oh yeah, yeah. No, it was yeah. the, the other guy. His dad uh, didn't die in battle, so he's oh, just. Oh, it like, wasn't Worf's dad. It was it the other Worf's guy's dad. dad. Oh, yeah, it was the other guy. Okay. Worf's dad died uh, when he was a kid. When okay. His, when his I was, was remembering that other Klingon story yeah. as Worf's story. Okay. Um. I like. I, I mean, it had one of my favorite Worf lines, which was, "With all due respect, respect, be gone." <laughs> it was like, yeah, okay, that's pretty good. <laughs> but uh, and Wesley is like, you know, trying to figure out what uh, what's going on with Worf, and he like does goes and and, and digs in, and he finds. Didn't out you that- think the writing for Wesley this episode was weird? Though he's running around like a kid on. 12 slurpees i don't know he was like super <laughs> hyper like when uh-huh. he comes up to wharf in the hallway and then when he figures out about the ride of ascension he's like i don't know it was weird writing for wes because he's supposed to be this like super genius and everything and i just i thought it was really it's... weird gee whiz yeah i found out about this thing you know <laughs> but yeah it basically turns out it's like it's the 10th anniversary of Worf's uh, Rite of Ascension, so it's basically like his birthday, and he's just in a bad mood because he doesn't have any family to celebrate it with. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they were like, oh, okay, well, uh, we'll get something set up for him in the holodeck, and apparently the uh, the way you celebrate a Klingon birthday is you walk <laughs> down a line of Klingon warriors who stick you with pain sticks. <laughs> Klingon pain sticks. Yes. <laughs> That's the official trademark, I think. No, I just, I just was like... This this looks like fun. This is what you were depressed you were missing out on. <laughs> There's um I've seen like an edit of that scene where like they just like keep looping Worf going and getting stuck where they just everyone just stands there staring at him as he just keeps getting stuck <laughs> over and over again. I like how they're all just like, I guess this is how it is, so let's not interfere while they watch him getting tortured. I mean and he's then- He's doing it voluntarily, so you he know. is. That's true. Um, so when they're in there, though, why was Pulaski there? Pulaski's nobody's family, especially worse. <laughs> like I they, was like, <laughs> um, as as we see later in this season, they tr- they are gonna like try to build up like a Pulaski Wharf friendship. Oh. Um, so, uh, and I, I actually, I think that, uh, why am I blanking on her name? Uh, Pulaski's actress, I think she had said at some point that she thought that if she had stayed on the show, they might have, like, tried for a wharf Pulaski romance. Oh, which, interesting. That'd be weird. Um, it would be I, so I, weird. I don't know about that, but, uh, um, yeah, so uh, th- I, I think and I think that's probably they recognize, well, yeah, Pulaski just feels like, oh, yeah, she's also on the ship. She doesn't uh, other than uh, elementary dear data. She doesn't really seem to have uh, episodes yet where she's had like strong like connections with other people. The one where she friends. took the dude up into space with data because of the aging disease, I thought uh-huh. gave her some like, you know points but it wasn't it wasn't a lot of points um, well and that, that wasn't that, that was a pulaski focused episode but it wasn't so much of pulaski having relationships with everyone else on the ship right right like, right yeah it was about her but not her interpersonal relationships with the crew right because with everyone else you get the feeling oh yeah they hang out after hours they go and do do poker games and and, and shoot the shit but with mm-hmm. pulaski it's like oh I, I guess we'll invite her to poker um, <laughs> or to Worf's birthday party <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, so I have a question about the turbo lifts. Um, okay. What is that noise they make? Are they hydraulic powered? 
steam powered um, <laughs> what is that noise <laughs> i think they uh use uh anti-grav lifts um i could okay. be wrong on that but yeah anti-grav lifts is basically just like a hovercraft technology or something like that so um, maybe it is for like the release of like an of air that makes that sound because i was trying i i have meant to ask before and it stuck out to me this episode because i heard it and i was like that's a really weird sound for those doors to make when they open well, I think anti-gravs are actually like a, a miniaturized um, impulse engine, uh, mm-hmm. which is like the impulse engine is just a, a direct conversion of energy into thrust, mm-hmm. um, which is would be not it would be nice if we could get that technology because right now you know we can't just like have batteries that we can convert uh, directly into like thrust in space we have to right. convert it to mechanical energy or we have to use like a chemical propellant or something like that um so but yeah i i assume it's probably just m- miniaturized impulse uh, engines that just you know uh push the uh the, the the um the turbo lift around i guess i said turbo lift but i meant the all the doors because like when they oh, go the through doors? i said i said turbo lift but you i actually meant doors yeah yeah i'm sorry that was my mistake yeah i meant okay. i meant all the doors what's causing that sound that makes the like it sounds like like air or steam is releasing <laughs> i would i would say um I, i've actually saw somebody like make one Mm -hmm. uh, of those doors at home like he he modified his bedroom door to open like that and he did use a a hydraulic uh to make to get that noise hydraulic is what i assumed i don't know that in 400 years from now we'll actually be using hydraulics but it makes sense for the 80s i don't see why we would get rid of a really useful technology i just figured we'd have something better by then (laughs) (laughs) if it works it works how they actually work though is like there's some dude standing above the set who just pulls the doors back (laughs) when they is that how it works that's yeah they just have like some dude in a t-shirt who just (laughs) and then they have the the sound in post so um there's a couple like there's a couple things that i took offense to in this episode (laughs) The first one is that Deanna says Pulaski's greatest skill is her empathy. And it's something like she's well known for her empathy because she says something about Pulaski's chicken soup for the guy with the flu. I don't know why he's getting the flu, but it's because I thought we eradicated that stuff. But she's like, I need to get, you know, like she says, like PCS or whatever. And it's Pulaski's chicken soup. soup. And then Deanna's like, yes, she's uh, her greatest skill is her empathy. She's a dick to everybody. She's she I don't think of her uh, as having empathy at all. I think of her as like kind of cold and awful it's a it was a weird statement like i was like one of those things where they're like we we know that everyone hates this character uh so let's have the other characters like talk her up or something so that (laughs) so that 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 we we might trick the fans into thinking oh she must be okay deanna likes her right okay but that's nothing in comparison to the worst writing i've ever heard on star wars which is it's time for us to have star wars (laughs) no i've got some uh, the women the children. <laughs> They're animals. So I slaughtered them like animals is the worst Star Wars dialogue. But the worst Star Trek dialogue is it's time for us to have a talk. So lower your shields. 
Yeah. I just, I just thought, oof. I, I, I had to pause it. I was laughing so hard, and I don't think that's what they were going for because it was a really tense fight scene between Riker and his dad. But uh-huh. oof, oof, I did not like that line. I thought it was really bad. Yeah. What do you think about Worf's surprise party? I thought it was sweet. <laughs> like the way they set it up. They're like, Diana's like walking him and he doesn't know what's going on. And they're like, she's like, she, but she ruined the surprise, right? Didn't she? She like kind of told him what was going on. I I don't remember if it was meant to be a surprise party, uh, but I don't know. I thought it I thought it was it was nice. I, it was sweet in a clean. I thought way. it was sweet. I was surprised that Deanna didn't go, um, but because she stepped away at the end or whatever. We had a mm-hmm. principal at my school retire, one of the assistant principals this week, and so the the main principal came around at like eight o'clock in the morning and said at one o'clock come down to the main office, blah blah blah, and we gathered everybody together. And he pulled the assistant principal into the office, and she thought she was doing an exit interview. And then the office manager ran into the principal's office and said, there's a fight. So they both came running out of <laughs> the office. And we were all standing there, and we all yelled, and it was cute, and she cried. And it reminded me of that. <laughs> I was like, oh, that was, you know, but she told me afterwards, she was like, I was so thrown off because I was in that, oh, no, a fight. I got to go break it up. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, there was this huge group of everybody who works in the school. And I was like, yeah, that is funny. I'm so sorry. I didn't know that's how they were going to do it. Well, but listen, I would also get Worf into a room by saying there's a fight going on. And he would exactly get up, he would get up <laughs> not not being like, oh, no, there's a fight. He'd be like, oh, hell yes, I'm getting in on this. <laughs> Yeah, I know. So it, that you can see why it reminded me, right? I uh-huh. was like, oh, yeah, that's so cute. I thought it was great. I really liked it. And it, he didn't sit there being all poopy about it either. He was like, oh, this is so cool. And he just went through with the ritual. Like, he could have nitpicked things and been like, oh, this isn't supposed to look like this or, or whatever. But he was appreciative of what they had done for him as a family. And I think that was one of the best parts of the episode because it was showing us the difference between blood family being completely awful and terrible, like uh-huh. um, Billy senior (laughs) and then there's and then there's the family that you choose which obviously i know i've talked about this before i love the family you choose type stories so that really it resonated with me for that part but man i just i never want to see riker's dad again do i have to see riker's dad again nope we never see him again yeah that was that is yeah my notes say that he is the worst (laughs) and i never want to see him again (laughs) um I loved the little data shrug that he did at the end. The, do you know what I'm talking He looked at him and he said he likes shrugs at, at Picard because Picard shrugs at him. It was really cute because it was such a moment of like data androidness of, oh, he did that motion. So I'll do that motion, you know. Mm-hmm. So the next one that we're going to talk about, and I apologize because I only have two pages of notes, is called Pen Pals. It is the 15th episode of the second season. It first aired on the 1st of May, 1989. The teleplay was by Melinda M. Snodgrass. The story was by Hannah Louise Shearer, and it was directed by Winrich Colby. So um, it feels like we're getting more into the A-plot, B-plot stuff here, because both of these Mm -hmm. episodes had a very well-defined A-plot, B-plot. They did. And the the B-plot is a a Wesley thing yet again. Yet again. And it was kind of a boring Wesley thing, too, instead of an interesting Wesley thing. Well, it's just, you know, him him learning authority um, and and Riker giving him the uh, Uncle Ben speech. (laughs) Yes. With great power comes great responsibility. No, responsibility and authority go hand in hand. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But uh, in this one, they're investigating um, like a a planet system in which a bunch of the, the planets have like the same kind of geological instability. So. 
um, they decide, hey, well, if this is going to be a research project, uh, Wesley could use some command experience. So they put him in charge of uh, running the uh, the scientific team that's uh, examining everything. Right. Which everybody is for, except for Pulaski, because her empathy is her greatest skill. <laughs> The main uh, core of the episode is that Data receives a transmission from one of the planets uh, from a little girl, and he responds to it, which was a big no-no, because Mm -hmm. it's a pre-warp civilization. They should have zero contact with them. But Data decides to, you know, just, like, talk to her over the radio. It was so human of Data to do. Yeah, yeah, it was a very human thing. But he realizes that he messed up, so he goes to Picard and is just like, yeah, so um, I answered uh, the phone when <laughs> I shouldn't have. And right. Picard's like, okay, all right. Uh, all right, let's see what we got to do with this one. But, you know, they find out that uh, her planet's going to, like, break up soon and, you know, have a... a, a sentient species go extinct from that and um so then they have to do the whole like uh prime directive thing should they yeah they have a big discussion like they sit around trying to decide whether or not these people should die like they're gods while they decide whether or not they should be gods like it was very frustrating and there's a huge ass debate about like whether or not fate is sealed and if we're involved in that and i was getting really frustrated with that discussion because i was like why are we discussing God and fate and plans? Like we're beyond that now. Why is this conversation even happening? We you shouldn't know? believe in fate in the 24th century. And it didn't follow Star Trek at all. Like it didn't follow the next generation for now. I'm almost two full seasons through. It just felt weird and out of place. Like it was the eighties. Did the like satanic panic moms get in the right writer's room or something and be like, you need to bring up the God exists. I don't understand why there was this big push towards like a higher power that has a plan for us and fate and all this discussion that they were having in that room. Well, and also like when Picard is bringing up different scenarios of times that they should, uh, interfere. Um, he's like, you know, for, for, like an earthquake or, or for like a, a, an asteroid heading to the planet, they'll say, of course, he's like, well, what, what if it's a war? Do we get involved then? And I'm like, well, I mean, that does seem like a very different circumstance. Wouldn't you say? I don't think you can compare an asteroid to getting directly involved in the interspecies politics of a politics. Planet. Right. Yeah. Um. So it's it, he's like, ah, see that one. We're not so sure about now. It gets more murky. I'm like, well, yes, because those are differences. <laughs> you can't compare those two. Right. Just- well, but it's it, it was like that kind of like you're debating on the Internet, right? Or you're arguing with someone and then they just keep making it more and more ridiculous. That's what it felt like. I was uh-huh. like, you know, it actually reminded me of how I reached out to our um, in my school district. I reached out to our person that runs our computer systems and said, it's time we add non-binary as an option for gender, because having to just put nothing is like, why can't instead of nothing, we have non-binary be there. And I was told that it's because when we researched it a few years ago, because of all the other alternate pronouns that exist, they felt like it was too much work to put non-binary in there, because if they did non-binary, they'd have to consider all the other pronouns that people identified themselves as, which is just an excuse not to do it in the first place. Right. And that's what this felt like to me. Like, well, if I make enough excuses, we can just walk away and blame the prime directive and I won't have to have that on my hands. You there's, know, there's a really easy solution to that. And it's to make the pronoun field a text field rather than a drop down. So I you know. You can just write them in. 
I know. And so did the person talking to me. I could tell by their like very specifically chosen words that they were on my side. Uh But it had come down from like the head of the district at the time kind of thing. But it's just it's that argument, right? Like, well, if we do this, then we do this, then we have to do this. And then we're opening the floodgates, you know, and it's like, no, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, and that's what it felt like. Picard was doing and it did not seem like good writing for John Luke Jean Luc because then Data goes and opens the computer and um his little friend is talking to him and all of a sudden Picard can hear her little Jeanette from the Chipmunks Chipettes <laughs> voice and he's like, Oh no, now we can't kill that small child. <laughs> you know? And I was like, Oh good. So that's all it took there for you, Picard, was for you to hear the voice because you know, I don't know. It was it was such a weird debate. They're in there debating all these things and all it took for Picard to be like, Okay, I, I have to save this child is to hear the voice, you know? It's a weird episode. Also, like, we never see any of her other species. Like, does she just live alone in that house? Her, well, she's got brothers and a family, but I, yeah, I know. We I never mean, see anyone. It's like she's the sole representative of her species that we ever get to see. And then what was with the random racism? Because um, when when he decides to beam back with the kid, even O'Brien says, and you're going to take that he looks at the alien child and says that. And I was like, you guys know aliens. What in the heck is, what are you doing? I, 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 I don't, I don't think it's that he, he's being racist against aliens. I think it's more of a, why are you bringing a, a pre-warp alien onto our ship? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. It felt weird to me. And then they all freak out when they see her too. Like, Oh, that's a child, you know? And I was, it really reminded me of monsters Inc with the 2319. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And George Sanderson, you know, <laughs> I was just like, I don't know. I just, I was trying really hard to find value in this episode. And I, I was having a hard time. It's a pretty weak prime directive episode when it comes down to it, especially because they have the ability to erase her memory of the event mm-hmm. so that no uh, harm is done to their society by uh, having interacted with aliens. And then they, you know, are able to identify what's causing the planetary instability and they're able to fix it. So, like, you know, and they could do that without uh, having to interact with anyone. So, right. like, there's no problem. Everything I mean, gets so fixed. far, like the Prime Directive episodes have made me wonder if the Prime Directive is good or not. Because every time the Prime Directive comes up, it's like we can follow the Prime Directive or we can let all these people die. Yeah. And especially because they're able to fix everything and they erase her memory so that, you know, no no harm is done to her. There's no real actual stakes or consequences to violating the Prime Directive here other than like, um, you know, uh, you might end up facing a court martial for it later but you know picard right. seems fine with it so the, you know data's not gonna be prosecuted for this and they repair the damage so like if they're gonna make a choice there should be some consequences both ways like if they right. decide not to then they let the planet die if they decide to do it there should be something but right. they're able to just you know deal with it so that oh well everything's fine she doesn't remember and they're all fine now like I don't know. Give us a choice in which there isn't one obvious solution that has no downsides, you know? Right. Yeah. No, I do know. Um, That's why I think I had such a hard time with this 
with this whole episode. I don't know. I did not like it. Um, oh, 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 oh. But there is a really good thing that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're in 10 forward and Riker is hitting on some science officer because she's got blue on. Right. And oh, yeah, he's yeah. like having drinks with her. And Wesley comes in to look for some advice. And apparently Guinan is off tonight. So he sits down at the table <laughs> and, you know, Riker looks at the lady and says, I'm sorry, I have to go. It's a family emergency. <laughs> I was like, oh, my heart. You know, it's <laughs> like, oh, family emergency. <laughs> you know, and I, I just thought it was so sweet i was like oh i love it so much i mean the wesley plot was i think arguably better than the pen pal plot yeah because it's wesley learning how to navigate you know running a team and uh when to uh you know listen to the expertise of the people uh that are working for you and when to make the decisions as the, as the team leader and stuff like that it's a right it's learning how to uh have authority because like you know uh and Riker points out, it's like, you, you've already got responsibility. You know how to be responsible, but now you're, you need to learn how to have and use authority. Right, right. I think the best example of authority I have ever seen is Captain Pike in Star Trek Discovery. He, his leadership style is like leadership without ego. His job is there to listen to everyone uh, listen to every, like all uh, everyone's expertise, find out what it is they need to do, what it is they want, and just, you know, uh, give the authority to point them in the right direction. Right. Uh, it's, it's you know, he, he doesn't lead like, uh, like he has his thing that he wants to do and everyone has to listen to him. He's like, no, I am here to empower my crew. And I really like that. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's not exactly how Wesley's going about it because he does go. He's like, because there's, there's like one study that he wants them to do. And they're like, well, if we set that up, it's going to take hours. And he's like, oh, OK. But and they he's make like, him doubt himself. Yeah. Yeah. I know. But, but then he's like, well, yeah, go ahead and do it. And then and once he tells him to do it, they're fine to do it. It's just letting him letting him know. It's like, well, it will take a while. But that's the thing that saves the planet in the long run. If he had not found his voice and his authority to tell them to do it anyway, the planet would not have been saved and Data's pen pal would have died and everything. Was, so if he hadn't gotten that sense of confidence and learned to stand up for, no, I really do think this needs to be done because I'm the leader and I was given the responsibility, yep. then the planet wouldn't have been saved. So thanks, Wesley. Yeah, thanks, Wesley. Yet again, you <laughs> saved the day. <laughs> um, so I want to talk about the holodeck because Star Trek outside is so weird. <laughs> like he rode his horse, you know, uh-huh. and it's oh, right, just yeah. like they're outside. Mm-hmm. And it's it's like on Earth kind of outside. And it's right. so weird because we're so used to being on a soundstage. It's such a different production value. Yeah. You know, yeah. like Location quality. I, yeah. I don't know. It just it takes you kind of out of Star Trek a little bit because all of a sudden you're like it's a different film quality or something. Probably just because the lighting and the, the way natural light looks versus yeah. studio lighting. But all of a sudden you're like really taken out of it because you feel like you're really like now you're actually seeing them in the real world. Here's the actors out in the real world, but really they're on the holodeck, right? I don't right. know. Something about the real world Star Trek is really weird to me. I mean, maybe I'll get used to it, but it's every time they do these holodecks where they go out into like an outside. I'm like, oh, weird. You know, we haven't had a lot of location shooting on on the next generation yet. They've mostly just been on sound stages. 
Um, right. But they, they start to get more location shooting as, as we go along, so you'll you'll get more used to it. Um it it, it is a little uh jarring when you go from uh stage shoots to location shoots just because mm-hmm. When you're shooting outside, well, you're just working with natural light. You don't have studio lighting. So, you know, it can feel a little weird, but... uh, Yeah, it's interesting. Not bad, but interesting, you know? Also, uh, this is, I think, the first episode where we've established that Picard is an equestrian, which, uh, that's interesting because that's, like, the third uh, Starfleet captain who's an equestrian, because Pike's an equestrian, and Kirk... I think the first time we actually see Kirk ride a horse is in Star Trek Generations, but Bill Shatner is mm-hmm. an equestrian. He, you know, uh, raises and breeds horses, um, and he wanted to get that worked in there. So, yeah, we've got, like, three different starship captains who all are uh, horse riders. And we also ha- we also had Earl Grey Hot again this episode, so yes, we're really we starting to establish those Picard things, right? Like, at this point, we're really, like, getting to the point where it's like, okay, these are the things that are Picard's, like, defining character traits or whatever. There, I think, have been, I, I think it's T. Earl Grey Hot is said, like, between six or eight times in the series. I know, I looked it up once when we were, yeah. when I first started watching it, it's just not that many times. But it's... You know, it's 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 an iconic thing. Actually, um, I want to say that Star Trek Picard may have uh, may al- almost like be uh, catching up with how many uh, Earl Grey references they have. Does he say it a lot? <laughs> Other people say it like to him. There was uh, actually there was in, in the, the first episode of, of season two, there was like two different uh, T Earl Grey hot jokes. First, um, it was. Uh, Guinan um, said, uh, uh, saw him come into uh, her bar and says, she's like, I'm going to need some tea. Earl Grey piping hot. And then uh, <laughs> like later, he's like, uh, um, his housekeeper uh, says, well, you forgot your t- you for- uh, you forgot to drink this. So it's very much now tea Earl Grey cold. <laughs> <laughs> OK, that's pretty funny. <laughs> and, and in the first season, uh Picard orders T. Earl Grey decaf <laughs> to just give you the, oh, he's old now. <laughs> right, right, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> the bit where um, Wrecker's like, these people are professionals. They won't have any sort of personality conflicts you need to worry about. What the hell was that? <laughs> oh, uh, <laughs> because- Like, of course people have personality conflicts, like. <laughs> <laughs> right, but keep in mind that this is still early days in in uh, TNG, and the edict from Gene Roddenberry was that uh, the uh, Starfleet crew weren't supposed to have conflicts with each other. Oh, uh, I see. <laughs> in, in the future, humanity has grown beyond the need for conflict with each other, so all the conflicts are supposed to come from outside the episode, but, like, that's boring, and it's it a is. hard way to write. And also, conflict is not bad. Conflict is good. Right. Actually, like people having different opinions and then talking it out and figuring out common ground is not a bad thing. Yeah, it's, it's you know, it's good to have like and I think the show, once they get away from the oh, you can't have interpersonal conflict, they still do it in a way that's very enlightened and people good. come come to good, good agreements with each other or reach synthesis. I mean, um, just this week, a lady that you would consider to be a professional and a professional job snapped at me for absolutely no reason because she was having a bad day. Like, it's just human. Yeah. To have human reactions. 
things. Mm-hmm. So to say that we are will evolve beyond interpersonal conflicts and everybody will love each other is just not human. You know, no. there's going to be conflicts. And that's fine. Yeah. I don't know if I really have anything else to say about this one. Do you? Oh, I got one. Um, oh, the Betazoid cats. Yeah, I was just going to say Betazoid cats. Um, yeah, so uh, when Picard goes on the holodeck with the horse, uh, Deanna mentions how like he didn't strike her as like um, an animal animal man. He's like, oh, don't really do pets or small animals, but I like horses. Except and- for fish. Well, except for fish, yeah, but that's like an <laughs> ornamental thing. Like he true. I just thought of that when he said it in the episode too. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, Deanna mentions how she had a uh, Betazoid cat growing up, but that. <laughs> and I looked it up in the Memory Alpha, and the only time the Betazoid cats are ever mentioned is this one episode. I know. I've, um, I'm trying to imagine how cute a Betazoid cat would be. It'd have all black eyes. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. That would be that would be it. Of course, you kind of if you get a black Betazoid cat, you can't get those cute pictures where it's just a, a, a void with with void yellow eyes. Because you would just you, it would just be a void. Just be a void. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it made me want a Betazoid cat really bad. I was like, ooh, I want a Betazoid cat. And I tried googling to see if anybody had like done any fan art of Betazoid. Uh-huh. Cats and I couldn't find any. Hey, I know that I've got some artists listening to this podcast, so I put it out to the world. <laughs> awesome. Yes, I would love to see an artist rendition of a Betazoid cat. So I think that's everything for today. Thanks for joining us. I'm Ari. And I'm Gayfesh. And until next time, live long and prosper. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to subscribe and consider writing a review in your podcast service. We're on Twitter at Rest Both Worlds. Join our Patreon at patreon.com slash restofbothworlds for bonus content and hear your name at the end of each episode.